Good morning. Let's try this from last week. I'm all in. We had varying iterations of, so I'm all in, are you all in? You say, yes, I'm all in. I'm all in, are you all in? Yes, I'm all in. Good. Roger Fisher was a pilot during World War II, and after his service to our country, he went to law school at Harvard, and he spent the next 34 years in conflict management. And in the 70s and 80s, when the nuclear warfare threat was at its highest, Roger Fisher decided that he wanted to do something to stymie this escalating threat. And so, he came up with an idea. You see, it bothered him that the president had access to these codes, that he could launch the missiles, destroying an entire nation of people without ever really being close enough to see the innocent die. And so Roger Fisher came up with a plan that he submitted to the Pentagon, and his plan was to take the nuclear codes, to put them in a tiny capsule, and insert that capsule right next to the heart of a volunteer. That volunteer would walk around with the president wherever he went, carrying a bag that contained a butcher knife. So that if the president ever wanted to fire the nuclear missiles, he would have to take the butcher knife and kill the innocent volunteer and get to the capsule and pull it out. Now, the idea was that the president would have to see innocent life dying at his hands before he actually gave the codes to fire the missiles. So it was submitted to the Pentagon, and guess what? Yeah, they laughed it off. I mean, there's no way that they were going to go for this. They believed that it was too emotional for the president to, you know, making a decision like that. However, Roger Fisher knew that it would probably never get accepted. He just wanted to drive home the point that it's easy to make a decision that doesn't affect you, but comes at great cost to other people. And we understand this from a spiritual vantage point, don't we? But our understanding of it doesn't always affect our decision. Sinful behavior brings pain, maybe to other people, but certainly to us, to God. We understand the implications of bad decisions, but the lack of immediate consequences can sometimes blur our vision or our perspective, and so maybe we don't always modify our behavior. Can you imagine the impact that Ananias and Sapphira's actions would have had on those around them? To see that happen live, that would probably change your behavior. Or how about Uzzah touching the ark and being struck dead immediately? If you were witnessing that episode, you probably wouldn't make the same mistake going forward. That gets your attention. And the likelihood of ever repeating that mistake would greatly be diminished. But since there is a gap between the decision and the consequence, our behavior is often uninfluenced. Now, we're all familiar with bad habits versus good habits. I mean, some of the good habits we engage in, we do so without ever even giving much thought to them. We bathe every day. We brush our teeth every day, morning and night. We come to church every Sunday. Those are just automatic. We understand those, right? But we also have some bad habits that maybe we engage in pretty automatically that we don't ever think about either. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's cussing. 
Maybe it's drinking. I, I don't know what it is, but all of us probably have some regular behaviors, good and bad, that we engage in without ever really giving much thought to. Most, if not all of us, know the difference between a bad habit and a good habit. Most of us, if not all of us, know that a bad habit can affect us negatively. Most, if not all of us, know that a bad habit can negatively affect our livelihood, both spiritually and physically, that there might even be some eternal consequences. And that should arrest us, that should cause us to pause in our tracks. And maybe it does to some degree, but so often it doesn't lead to behavior change. Why is that? Why is it that a bad habit is difficult to break and a good habit is often difficult to start? Well, I think we probably know the answer to that as well. There's a perceived benefit versus an actual payoff. Good habits are difficult to start because the perceived benefit versus the actual payoff is somewhere in the distant future. So I can have a goal of losing 50 pounds. And in order to lose 50 pounds, I'm going to have to change my diet. I'm going to have to exercise. And even then, there's not immediate gratification, right? And I'm going to have to work really hard. I'm going to have to eat some unpleasant things. And so the immediate gratification is gone. The payoff or the perceived benefit is on down the road. And there's a whole lot that it's going to take for me to get there. So it's not very attractive. But with a bad habit, it's quite the opposite. The perceived benefit is immediate. You know, let's say that I'm a smoker. I'm addicted to nicotine, and so I have, I have this, uh, this urge, and so I smoke a cigarette. Instant gratification. But the payoff is on down the road. The reward, if you want to call it that, is on down the road. I get the immediate gratification, but if I continue to do that over and over again for most of my life, I may develop lung cancer, esophageal cancer. And so you see the difference between the two. The perceived benefit was instant, but the long-term payoff is catastrophic. Most people don't ruin their lives with one bad decision. It does happen, but that's not the norm. No, most people find themselves at rock bottom because of one uh, a series, I should say, of bad decisions, of bad habits, bad steps. You see, most people don't wake up and say, I think I want to be a heroin addict today. Most people don't wake up and say, you know what, I want to spend my life in a dead-end job, living paycheck to paycheck, hardly able to pay off my mortgage. Most people don't think that way. Most people have the same goals. We all want a good marriage, good children, you know, a good job, good retirement. We all mostly have the same goals, but obviously not everyone reaches that same goal. Some, through poor decisions and or sinful habits, find themselves at rock bottom, and they didn't get there overnight, at least not most of them. And it's interesting how we can sum up a person's life with one sentence. Notice how we do that? We can say, well, what happened to so-and-so? Well, he had an affair, and he lost his job, and now he's homeless. And, you know, those are the highlights. One sentence summary. All boils down. But there's a whole lot that went on there for them to get to that point. It, it's kind of like somebody could ask me, you know, what happened to your mom? And I could say, well, you know, she retired, and, and she became very unhealthy, and she died at 61. Well, that's a one-sentence summary that kind of hits the highlights for you, but there was a whole lot that went on in her life, and, and I didn't even mention the decades-long struggle she had with mental and physical health. 
but it's a one-sentence summary. The Bible does this. Have you noticed? We find in Judges chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and had relations with her. One-sentence summary. Now, that tells you a lot about Samson and his character, but this sentence just gives you kind of the first impression. You know, there's a whole lot that went on that led to his downward trajectory. For instance, Gaza was 25 miles from Samson's home. Assuming that he walked it, 25 miles would be about 52,800 steps. So he had a lot of time to think about his decision. With each step, 52,800 of them, he probably thought about what he was leading himself into. Gaza was the Philistine headquarters. He had no business being there. He was public enemy number one. So why would this guy travel 25 miles from his home to meet a prostitute? Well, you know the answer. And maybe we don't go to meet a prostitute like Samson, but we, we, can, we can relate. We all know about taking steps in a wrong direction and the, the consequences of doing such. Sin is attractive. Looks good, tastes good, feels good. That's why we crave it. And ultimately, that's why we engage in it. Samson didn't run his life with one bad decision. He took 52,800 steps in a direction towards destruction. And that's the way it is for most of us. We don't run our lives with one bad decision. We find ourselves in spiritual turmoil, one bad habit, one bad decision, one bad step at a time. Now, I said it last week, but all too often, a sermon on spiritual growth and formation, New Year's resolutions, will often talk about the problem, but you know, we, we really don't have a lot of solutions when we walk away from it, except to pray more, study the Bible more, come to church more. And look, I'm all for more when it comes to those things. And, and most of us, if not all of us, need to engage more in those things. However, religious activity is not the magical elixir. More religious activity is not the cure-all, as I'm sure you've noticed. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He says, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. I completely get it, don't you? I mean, Paul and I are on the same page here. Because I have this internal civil war or tug of war that is going on inside of me. And that's what Paul is describing here. But it's refreshing that the same Paul who talked about this in Romans chapter 7 also said this in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So how did Paul resolve the conflict? Probably watched an episode of Dear Church, didn't he? Probably watched the live stream services of Oldham Lane online. I doubt it. But he did resolve the conflict, at least in part, because I'm sure this was a daily thing. But he resolved the conflict by allowing the Holy Spirit to work on him through persistent plotting. It wasn't easy. And our part in all of this begins with a very serious question. Here's the question. Who do you want to become? What do you want to become? Now, you may say, well, I, I want to be healthier. You know, I, I want to be a better person. Hopefully the answer, though, is Jesus. Who do you want to become? What do you want to become? And then there's a follow-up question. What habit do you need to break? And you say, well, habit, I mean, mine's plural. 
I have all kinds of habits that I need to break. I have a whole list of them. Okay, that's fine. But don't try to take them all in at once. Don't try to tackle every bad habit at once. Find your one. What's the one thing that you can start with that's going to help you get to your identity? And we're going to talk about identity next week. Who do you want to become? What habit do you need to break? Because we're all really good trash collectors. We're all really good at collecting the trash. We're terrible garbage men. We're terrible at setting it out on the curb and letting, letting the trash man pick it up. We just carry it around with us. What do you need to let go of? What, what habits do you need to break? That's the first step. Before you can go any further, you have to acknowledge your bad habit or your bad behavior. You have to define it before you can break it. You have to define it before you can defeat it. So in preparation for this series, I read a book called Atomic Habits. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. He also... Um, your reference is another book that uh, you can pick up as well, and I completely forgot the name of it. But anyway, Atomic Habits by James Clear, a great book. And in that book, now it's not a spiritual book, I'll just tell you that, but you can make spiritual application, which is what I've done. But in that book, he talks about the habit loop. And for the sake of our sermon this morning, I want to define the habit loop like this. It's basically what he talks about, but I've refined it a little bit. So you have the trigger which is the signal that acts as a call to action. It's the cue. Then you have uh, the routine, which is the habit itself. And then you have the reward or the feedback that you get from performing that habit. So this is the habit loop. So looking at the habit loop, where do you think we need to start if we're going to break a bad habit and start a new one? The trigger, exactly. You start with the cue, that call to action, that's where you start. The trigger is where you start. And triggers will typically fall into one of five categories. Here are the five categories that you need to think about when you think about what your trigger is. You have place, you have time, you have mood, you have moments, and you have people. So whether you're, whether you're trying to break a bad habit or start a new one, you must address the trigger. If you're addressing a bad habit, you have to make it difficult. That's the key. As Christians, we need, to, we need to get in touch with our hate. You've got to hate a habit before you're going to break it. You've got to despise it and what it does to you if you're ever going to break it. I've told you before, I'm not proud of this, but I love chocolate mini donuts. I especially like Mrs. Baird's chocolate mini donuts. They come in a package of eight. You can get them at Stripes. So if I want to break that habit, I probably need to go get gas at 7-Eleven. I probably need to get my coffee somewhere else because when you walk into Stripes, you walk right past Mrs. Baird's chocolate mini donuts to get to the coffee. And there's a really good chance that if I get coffee, I'm going to grab a package of Mrs. Baird's chocolate mini donuts and I'm going to eat them in the car before I get home and feel really guilty about it. If I want to break that habit, I've got to address the trigger. I need to go somewhere else to get coffee or gas. There is a place that often causes the trigger. You have to recognize that, and you have to do something about that. Listen to the words of Solomon, Proverbs 4. Do not enter the path of the wicked, or do not enter stripes. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil people. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Don't set foot on the path of wickedness. Don't dab your toe in the water. Don't check it out. Just avoid it completely. Don't even travel down that path. Make it difficult. There are certain places where sinful habits take place. My guess is that no one is looking at pornography right here in the pew. 
That is something you do in the privacy of your own home behind a locked door. There is a certain place where that bad habit happens. I seriously doubt any of you walk into the gym with a Big Mac fries and a large chocolate shake. That's not usually where you engage in the bad eating habit. It's somewhere else. But usually, you know, you're not breaking your diet at Planet Fitness, right? You're not overeating at Planet Fitness. When you're at a certain place with certain people, it can affect your habits. Therefore, you need to change your location if you want to change the habit. Time is a factor as well. When does a habit happen? You probably don't look at pornography when you're sitting on the couch with your family watching a Disney show. Again, that's something that happens when you're mad at your spouse or when you're lonely. There's a time when bad habits occur. David walked out on the rooftop and he saw a woman bathing and it caught his attention. His eyes bounced and from that point forward, he had to have her. And he went to the extreme of staging the murder of her husband so that he could have her. But it didn't start on the rooftop. That wasn't the trigger. You know where it started? It started in a place. Listen to verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And listen to this. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Kings didn't stay home. Kings went out to battle. David chose to sit at home, and it cost him. Wrong place, wrong time. Mood is also a factor. You are more vulnerable depending on your mood. Experts will teach you to halt. Get out ahead of the mood. When you feel a mood coming on, you halt. And halt is an acronym for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are moods that typically trigger a bad habit. Because we're vulnerable, we're more susceptible when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. There are also moments that can lead to engaging in undesirable behavior or bad habits. You get in a fight with your spouse, so you storm out, you drink. You have a hard day at work, go get drunk. You get home and watch the game, you get drunk. Make an A on your exam, you get drunk. I mean, you get the idea. There are certain moments that influence your decision or act as triggers. And finally, people can be a part of the problem. We don't typically like to address this one, but sometimes you need to change your playmates and change your playground. Sometimes you've got to change your environment if you're going to change a habit. Wrong people can lead you in a wrong direction. And the reverse of that is true as well. Righteous people can lead you in a righteous direction. So my advice would be, hang around people who hang around Jesus. Be around people who have been with Jesus. Several years ago, I had a, I had a rather long bout with insomnia. Anybody ever dealt with insomnia? It's a, it's a tough deal. I'd never had real trouble sleeping, but I had a, a, this long bout with insomnia, and I, I, I don't like taking medicine. I really don't like taking medicine to make me fall asleep. I don't know if it's about giving up control. I don't know what that is, but I just don't like to do it. And so I found some research that was done to help people overcome insomnia, and there were several suggestions that this research gave. One of them was turn off the TV. That sounds pretty simple, but I had slept with the TV on my whole life. My whole life, I just leave the TV on, fall asleep that way. So I turned the TV off. Another thing it said was, only sleep in your bed. 
Well, some of y'all sit in the recliner to watch TV and snack. I did that in bed. <laughs> I did everything in bed. That's where I wanted to be. That was my safe place. So I stopped doing that. Another thing was not to take in any caffeine after like noon. So I tried that. And wouldn't you know it, eventually the insomnia was over. I was able to sleep. I was able to get back to a regular routine of sleep. You know, if you go without sleeping or sleeping very little for an extended period of time, it, it's really difficult. Uh, it, it makes it hard for you to focus. It makes it hard, you know, to concentrate. And so this was vital for me. And many of these things I still continue today. Maybe you need to do something like that. Consider your triggers. Then consider the action that they lead to. If you're someone who hits the snooze button over and over again so that it causes you to be late, put the, put the alarm clock on the other side of the room. If you're someone who can't stay off your smartphone, get a dumb phone. If you're someone who can't stay off of Amazon and you have a problem with ordering too much and spending too much money, then let your, let your spouse have the password. If you're someone that struggles with pornography, have an accountability partner. Whatever the problem is, address the trigger. Get help, but make sure that you are doing what is necessary to keep this loop from starting and break the cycle. And do this for me as well. When you feel yourself triggered, play it forward. Think about the long-term payoff. We don't usually do that. We, we live in the moment, and so we just settle for immediate gratification. Think about the long-term effect. You know, for, for Christmas, my wife purchased me two sessions with a personal trainer and then six weeks free membership at a gym. So this personal trainer is going to whip me into shape. Midway through, he's going to check and evaluate how I'm doing, and then we're going to do this six-week six program, and hopefully it will lead to healthy habits. And he's, he's already talked to me and asked me, you know, what are your goals and all that? I said, I want to look like The Rock, and of course he laughed. Um, I don't really want to lose weight. I don't really want to get big or anything like that. I just I, I feel like I'm a little um, loose in the cage, you know. You just feel like you, you, you'd like to be a little more fit, be healthy. Genetics is not on my side, so I, I want to be healthier. And uh, so I'm meeting with this guy Tuesday, and if I don't die, I'll see you Sunday. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this, this benefit, but that benefit's on down the road. I mean, it's going to take a while, and I'm going to have to change what I eat a little bit. No more chocolate mini donuts. Also, unfrosted brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts. That's a weakness. I'm going to have to cut those out. I'm going to have to work hard, and, you know, there's not immediate gratification, Work out one time and you're where you need to be. It's a long-term process, and I, I'm not excited about that. And, and, and a lot of people aren't, which is why we give up on these habits too quickly. Play it forward. Think about the long-term result. You're in this for the long haul. Address the triggers. Cut off the process early. Listen to what Paul says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You can't just stop a bad habit. You've got to replace that bad habit with a good habit. And Paul gives us some holy habits that would be really good to add to your life. So when you think about the triggers... 
Think about these things instead. Be joyful, pray, be thankful, keep the spirit burning, listen to God, test everything, hang on to what is good, stay away from evil. Start a new habit loop, one that includes healthy triggers that lead to righteous actions and eternal rewards. You know, chewing gum has been around for a long time. A long time. But it wasn't until 1891 that Wrigley revolutionized the chewing gum world. That was then that Wrigley added flavors like spearmint and wintergreen and juicy fruit. And now all of a sudden, this boring chewing added some flavor. And so you could chew gum and get some pleasure out of it instead of just, you know, chomping your teeth together and getting nowhere. Also, Wrigley advertised that it was a clean mouth experience. So not only did you get the flavor, but advertisers keyed in on the clean mouth thing. Toothpaste has done the same thing. For many years, toothpaste really didn't you know, have any kind of flavoring or anything, but when they started adding flavors like peppermint and cinnamon, it took off. Now you had the flavorful experience along with the clean mouth experience. And I tell you all that to tell you the one cardinal rule when it comes to behavior change. What is rewarded will be repeated, and what is punished will be avoided. If you're chewing gum because you think it helps your breath, then that's, that's, that's a payoff, right? You're not just doing some routine with no kind of benefit. You're brushing your teeth because, yes, it's good for your teeth. It also gives you a clean mouth experience, all those kind of things, but it tastes good too, so you're going to be more apt to repeat that habit. What is rewarded will be repeated, and what is punished will be avoided. You do in the future what you were rewarded for or punished for in the past. So decide what you want to become and then prove it to yourself by addressing the triggers in order to change your behavior. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for hope Thank you that you don't give up on us. May we be a people who live at the center of your will, who seek to live righteously and to help one another live righteously as well. Thank you for the church. Thank you that we're all in this together. Help us, God, to be better, to be more like Jesus, and to be new and improved in this year. We love you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So David's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you this morning, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, you know, um, help you in your next step on discipleship. If, that's, if you're ready to be immersed for the remission of your sins, then certainly let's do that this morning. As we said, there's never a good reason to leave here without being transformed. So let us help you in any way that we can. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?